This morning, God's word comes to us, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. This is the holy word of the living God. Now I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every good thing for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. And may he add his blessings to this. Please be seated. Well, this is our last sermon on the topic of stewardship. We're going to move on. Uh, There's so much more that could be said, but uh, then again, there's other things that we should be looking at too. So my, but my whole purpose, why did I begin this whole series to begin off with? It was to help us think of our lives in term of eternity. God has placed eternity in our hearts. We are children of heaven. And that should be our primary orientation. And though our text this morning is dealing primarily with the saints' attitudes towards money, Paul is laying down a greater principle that I think that we need to have seep deep down into our souls. Now, perhaps some of you have heard of an experiment that was done in 1972 by the psychologist Walter Mischel of Stanford University. In that test, Mischel uh, placed a marshmallow, or in some cases it was a pretzel stick, before a group of children ages three to five. And he told them that you can have that marshmallow right now if you want, but if you wait a little bit, I'm going to go out these doors, and if you wait a little bit, when I come back, you get, a, you get two. So he left the room for 15 minutes. Of course, where for a three to five year old, that's a lifetime, right? Three. <laughs> but the, the video footage uh, is actually pretty entertaining. Now, some of those children immediately lunged and grabbed a, a pretzel or, or the marshmallow and gobbled it up like there was no tomorrow. Others, and this is the funny thing, they wiggled around, they, 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 
skirmished around. They bounced up and down. They are, they're trying not to look at the table. They're trying not to look at that marshmallow, but eventually they gave in to the temptation and they ate it. But there were a few who waited out. They held out. They, they waited the whole entire time, and sure enough, they got two marshmallows. Well, the interesting thing about that, uh, Mitchell uh, kept a record of those children. And from time to time, he would check up on these. And in 1990, so from 1972 to 1990, that's how long this experiment was conducted. Um, he, he wrote another report. And in that report, as he followed up on these kids, he discovered that those children who actually waited for the second marshmallow tended to succeed more in life. Now, that, that experiment was not without criticism. There are a lot of factors that probably need to be taken to account into that. But it did so something that the ability to delay gratification was critical for success in life. And this is a kind of a well-known statement because another psychologist said, success in nearly every field requires you to ignore doing something easier, that is delaying gratification, in favor of doing something harder. Well, beloved, as stewards of God's gifts in our lives, we are invited into the opportunity to invest in an eternal reward. Of course, part of our problem is that we're far too easily infatuated by this world in the here and now, right? Heaven is intangible. Heaven is invisible. And you have to wait for its blessings. But God is training us through trial, through tribulation. He's training our faith to grow so that we would ignore the instant gratification of the present world as you would wait for the coming future glorious reward of Jesus Christ. That training, again, that discipline is hard. But that is the stewardship principle that Paul is teaching us here, I think, in this section as he uses the illustration of sowing and reaping. Now, one of the lessons that we can learn from the text is that farmers never sow their seed without an expectation of harvest. In other words, the entire purpose of sowing seed is that one day there will be a harvest, right? If seeds don't produce a crop, then planting those seeds is a waste of time. If there wasn't an expectation of harvest, there's no reason to plant. So farmers plant with the belief in a cause and effect principle. If you don't sow, you won't harvest. It's as simple as that. Reaping only comes after a sowing. And we could also look at this, that the more one sows, the more one can expect a, a greater harvest. If you only plant 10 seeds, you can't expect a thousand heads of corn to come up, can you? Now, of course, there's hundreds of factors that might go into reaping a harvest, but the general principle that we can live by here, I think, even in the spiritual realm, is that because of this cause and effect principle that God himself has established, you can expect to reap 
according to how you sow. But another lesson that we can get out of this is that you never sow, you never sow to get an instantaneous harvest. Again, you throw out your seed today, and then what do you do? You wait. (laughs) You might have to wait for a few weeks before you begin to even see a little bit of effect from your work of sowing, right? It takes it takes weeks. Sometimes for, that, for those seeds to germinate, to start popping their little heads up from the ground. And then you'll have to wait even more months before the fields are fully ripe and ready to be harvested. But the point is that you never sow for instant gratification. You sow for a future satisfaction. And so with this, our eyes need to be fixed on the future, not on the present in regards to rewards. Now, when we consider this, beloved, Paul said something about our sowing in verses 5 and 6 that I think is wonderful. He talks about there of it being bountiful. And he's calling for us to have a bountiful harvest. Now, that word bountiful in the Greek is the Greek word eulogia. You'll know that word eulogia. You you can hear it in the word eulogy, right? Eulogy. What's a eulogy? It's speaking well of someone. And we typically use it in a funeral as we think of the deceased. But the word eulogy comes from two Greek words, meaning to speak well. It was incorporated into Jewish and Christian usage to mean God's favorable speech to men. That is, God's blessing. I want you to really understand how amazing this is. Because just earlier I mentioned how the pagans viewed their gods. The pagan world had their their pagan gods. And they expected their gods to defend them. They expected their gods to provide somewhat for them, especially after they gave them sacrificial offerings. But the pagan worshipers never thought of their gods blessing them. The word eulogia was only only acquired really a, a, a spiritual, religious significance from the Old Testament and the Jewish writings. And Paul here integrates that word to say that as you sow out of God's blessings in your life, the reaping also becomes an abundance of blessings that's obtained. Divine blessing. Our reaping and our sowing was seen as divine blessing. And you see, this is a very important element to understand about stewardship. Stewardship understands that God gave us first. God gave us blessings, and stewardship then is just a return of thanks, giving back a portion to him to bless him. And here's the interesting thing, isn't it? Our giving, whatever we is, whatever it is that we're giving, whether it be our money, that's oftentimes a very easy thing to give, isn't it? It's easy to give money and not time. But whether you give money 
or time or abilities and talents and energy, whatever you give, that giving is a sign of recognizing first of God's blessing in your life. And it's a way of returning thanks for God's blessing. And the one who gives generously is the one who is thanking God, who is thankful that God is more generous than they are. Uh, I've said this a million times. I'll say it a million more. I don't care because it's true. It should inspire your faith. But you can never outgive God. He is the rewarder of faith. But you can never outgive God. Malachi chapter 3, God challenges you. Try to outgive me. I dare you. Try to outgive me and see what happens. <laughs> but, but giving out a blessing... Giving out of blessings begets a thankfulness in our heart, and, it, and then it also begets further blessings. The more you sow, the more you reap, right? Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 says this, The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. See, that, that reverberates in our text this morning, verses 12 through 14. The ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it is overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Did you understand what that was saying? Through your cheerful, generous giving, the needs of others are being met. The needs of the church are being met through your cheerful, generous giving. And that then causes others to glorify God. It causes others to give thanks to God. And then in return to that, those that receive are so filled with gratitude, they're so filled with blessings that they pray for you. Again, you give and you receive. When we give, beloved, we are in partnership with God. We enter into a partnership with God and we are working towards the same goal of seeing his kingdom expand we're working towards the same goal as seeing the name of Jesus Christ exalted in every place in this world. And, and we give our money, we give of our talents, we give of all the things that we have. We, we present our bodies as living sacrifices for the very purpose that God may receive glory and honor. And we are entering into a partnership with him for that very purpose. And again, those who receive the good gifts not only give thanks to God, but they recognize that partnership and they rejoice for how God uses his people to meet their needs. Now, um, we know this happens. You receive and your turn, and you are turned to love the givers. You want to pray for them. Right? You, you, want, you receive a great gift from somebody. Don't you want God to bless them even further? 
Let me give you uh, an example of this in my own life. I, you know, uh, when I was a church planter in Las Vegas um, for those six years, my entire financial package was $32,000 a year. That included my housing allowance. That included my, my insurance. That included everything. Um, $32,000 a year, well below the poverty line. And uh, I will tell you that those were indeed very, very lean, but happy years. Lean years. But one Christmas, um, I'm not a big Christmas fan, but, uh, but nevertheless, I, I do want to give my kids presents at Christmas. And, and, uh, but we didn't have a lot of money. There was not a lot of extra money, in fact. And Lynn and I struggled. How are we going to, to justify buying presents when we don't have that money? And when suddenly there was a knock at my door, there was a UPS man with a huge box. And uh, we brought the box in, opened it up, and there were wrapped presents. The box was just filled with presents. I don't know how those people knew about my family, because it didn't come from a church that I knew. I didn't know the pastor. I didn't know any of the elders. I didn't know any of the people in that church, as far as I know. Uh, but nevertheless, they found out about my family. And they gave a present to each one of my kids, and to Lynn, and to myself. That was a wonderful Christmas. Not because of the gift. Because there was an expression of love. And I understood that they did that in the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, my kids have had presents to open. But our hearts were filled with love and gratitude for those saints. We never met them. But this was an extension of God's love to us. And it still fills me with great tears. Of thanksgiving to God for his tender mercies when you'd least expect it. And you have had similar experiences, I'm sure of this. Despite what some televangelists have said, God's greatest blessings are seldom in the form of money. Indeed, the the Macedonians that Paul talks about in these chapters, the Macedonians gave out of their extreme poverty, but they were not, and they, and as they gave, they weren't made wealthy. They didn't reap a, a physical worldly blessing. They, we have no way of knowing that they became wealthy because they gave. But they were made wealthy in another way. They were given an abundance of joy, an abundance of grace. They became rich in eternal things. And here, 2,000 years later, we're reading about them. Isn't that amazing to you? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you believe that? Well, let me ask you, my friends, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? If your treasures are for this world only, all your sowing will be for the pleasures that are found here in this world. That's it. But if your treasures and your affections is in heaven, the treasures that you seek are spiritual, aren't they? And you will sow for earthly things if your only benefit is to have earthly things. If you're seeking the temporal world, that's what you'll sow to. Sow to. But in eternity, will you have anything to show for it? If you sow to spiritual things, 
If you are looking for an eternally bountiful gift, that's, my friend, where you're going to find real joy. You know, if you had an extra thousand dollars, what would you do with it? What would you do with that extra thousand dollars? You know, maybe maybe to go out and buy a new TV. There's nothing wrong with buying a TV. No sin in that. And, and in fact, that TV will give you hours and hours and hours of entertainment. But what about a thousand years from now? In fact, even in a few years, that, that TV will break down. Uh, technology will render it old-fashioned. <laughs> and you'll just have another piece of junk to get rid of. You know that. And I don't think that in heaven... You'll be thinking, oh, wow, you remember that TV? I wish I had that TV again. You're not going to be doing that. Again, it's not sinful to buy the television. It's not necessarily foolish in that regard. There's nothing wrong with that. But the point that I'm trying to make is that we do need to be thinking more in terms of eternity than what we do. We need to be thinking more and how eternity is affected by what I'm doing now. If you take that $1,000, for instance, and you use a lot of it to, to, for mission works, you, you probably will be rejoicing over countless souls that have been blessed. They may not even know that you gave that $1,000. That's just an example. But the point is, in heaven, if you sow for eternity in heaven, you'll be rejoicing. If you sow for the earth, you can rejoice, but it'll be temporary. What do you want, eternal or temporary? Well, uh, as children of heaven, let us sow then for eternity. Again, we're not going to be necessarily gratified now if we are sowing for eternity. But again, we will have a harvest of blessing that will go on through all eternity. Let me read a a verse from Romans chapter 8. Of course, you you hear me quote from Romans 8 many times. It's such a, an amazing chapter. I think you should go home and start memorizing Romans chapter 8. But anyway, be, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I, Paul said, I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now, my friends, if the sufferings of this present world can't compare to the glory, neither will the present joys. The present joys are but shadows of future glory. And the sowing that Paul is is commending to us, he's causing you to think how your little, weak, flawed, inconsistent faith, a faith that still looks with all its weaknesses, still looks to the glories and to the joy of heaven, that faith will drive you to put your treasures there rather than concentrating on what you have here. It's a rather amazing thing to consider, isn't it? Your little offerings, your little gifts, given through that weak faith, will reap an abundance for all eternity. Now, this is another principle about sowing. Sowing looks like you lose, doesn't it? Sowing looks like you lose. Here you have a a bag full of seed. And as you go out into the fields, you begin casting that seed out. And the more you do so, the emptier your bag becomes. 
Your bag is now empty. You, you have sown all your seed. That ba- it looks like you lost. This bag was full, and now it's empty. I lost. Ah, but wait. Wait a minute. <laughs> Before long, you will have much more than what that bag actually had. God himself, beloved, guarantees that what you sow, you will reap. And here's the challenge that Paul gives to us. If you want to sow sparingly, fine, sow sparingly. Just understand that you're going to reap sparingly. But if you want to have an abundance, then sow abundantly. Giving, again, is a response to the gospel that says Jesus Christ is coming with his reward. In our giving by faith, we are laying up treasures for ourselves in heaven. But even as we do that, as we've been looking at, others will benefit from that. And you see how this is a work that has eternal ramifications? Again, this is something that even the the world understands to some degree or another. Uh, Just last Christmas, we were up in Las Vegas visiting my parents. We had our little dog, Charlotte, with us. And so I was outside letting her do her thing in the grass. And I was looking over my neighbor, my parents' neighbors that used to be an empty field. And uh, back in 2000, uh, a movie company came in and they constructed a, a fake house. And uh, the movie Play It Forward was filmed there. And so I was just thinking of that movie. I don't know. Has anyone ever seen that movie, Pay It Forward? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, but it, that, the movie tells of a 12-year-old boy whose plan was to show an act of kindness to another three people. And, and his only requirement was, don't pay me back. Show kindness to three other people. And, and the plan was that if these three people show kindness to those three people and those three people showed another three people and honor goes, the whole world would be changed by acts of kindness. My friends, God has already enacted such a plan. In Christ, God has richly blessed you. And you can't pay him back. It's impossible for you to pay him back for the grace that you have received. But he does ask us to pay that blessing forward to others so that others become the recipient of grace. Show his love to others. Isn't that what he says in in 2 Corinthians when you're going through trials and heartbreaks and that the mercy and the grace that we received, we can now comfort others with? We show it to others and they show it to others, and they show, and, and I know this works because we're reading this letter 2,000 years after it was written. Those saints showed kindness, those saints showed kindness down, down throughout the generations, and here we are halfway across the world 2,000 years later, and aren't we doing the same thing? We can come back to Matthew chapter 25. Jesus told the sheep there that they are being rewarded for blessing. How did we bless you, O Lord? Well, remember when you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. Going back to verses 5 and 7, we read, So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of you, arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, 
so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Each one must do as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. I love that verse. God loves a cheerful Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because he's so cheerful and giving. But when the Corinthians first heard of this collection that was being taken up for the church in Jerusalem, they were very enthusiastic for the, to help. And they all made these donations and these promises to give charitably and to give generously. And Paul here is saying, I don't want you to feel that you're being emotionally blackmailed into giving. I want you to give generously. But I want it to be a a cheerful giving, not a a feeling of of a grudge. This is a duty I have to do. Ah, They're giving, so I guess I'll give. No, you give freely, you give cheerfully. Give as you have already purposed, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Give cheerfully as a blessing, as a thank offering to benefit someone else. Now, Paul knew how life works, and he knows how often we hear of a need, and and what do we do? We volunteer with excitement. We want to contribute to that need. But then after a couple of weeks, perhaps the excitement wears off, and other things happen, life happens, and, and then the pledge, pledge is then begrudged. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have pledged that money. I need that money now. I guess I just won't give. Paul wants us to keep our eyes fixed on the prize. And he urges us to use these opportunities to, to grow in faith. Stick to the amount you purpose to give. You don't think that you can Don't worry about it. Stick to the purpose. Don't let anything but God's promise dictate how your faith and generosity goes. God is able to make all grace abound to you, beloved, so that having always all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good work. Here is the promise. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed so that you will be enriched in everything for all the brow. You see, our stewardship, our giving is simply really, again, we're boiling it all down. What's it all coming down to, pastor? It's this. It's all a matter of faith. God will give to you all that you need. God will give to you all that you need if you seek his kingdom. If you give to God only what is left over, after you pay your bills, after you've bought everything else you want, you'll discover that you won't have anything left over. I guarantee you that. And you'll be robbed of eternal blessings. That's why Proverbs says, for instance, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of your produce. Right? Because if you don't give the first, then you won't give the last. (laughs) The promise comes that if you do that, though, your barns will be filled with plenty, your vats will overflow with new wine. Again, this is a hard issue. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of putting the kingdom of God first in our lives. Because if the kingdom of God is not first in your life, you will find other things to put your money, time, and energy into, won't you? Again, Paul's dealing with money here, but the principle touches everything. For instance, 
Uh, you hear me oftentimes invite you to the prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. And, and here you are on Sunday, you go, you know, that sounds like a good thing. Going to prayer meeting would probably be a good thing for me. I think I'll go to prayer meeting this, this Wednesday if nothing else comes up. Then what happens? Something always comes up. <laughs> Something always comes up. My friends, if you want to go to the prayer meeting, go to the prayer meeting. Put it on your calendar and keep that date as well as you would keep any other date. But if you wait for a clear calendar, I guarantee you, you'll never go. Something will always come up. That's what Paul here is, is calling us to. Don't let things interfere with your purpose. Be, be careful about this. You know, the rudder of a ship will keep the, the ship steady in a storm. And faith is that rudder. Faith, you know, gives us a glimpse of glory. Faith gives us a, a glimpse of eternity. And that keeps us steady in our commitments, no matter how stormy life becomes. Again, here we are on Sunday morning. Here we are in God's presence. Here we are, our hearts are being convicted. We're seeing glory. We're, we're hearing wonderful things. And, and, and we're singing great praises. And we want to give ourselves more and more to the Lord. We want to give ourselves more to prayer. We want to give ourselves more to Bible study. We want to give ourselves more to, to deeds of charity. And so but Monday morning happens, and you go to church, or you go to work, and, and this happens. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, and by Thursday, we're beginning to mourn our failures. All the things that we wanted to do, we haven't done, and we become distracted that we set that, uh, from the course that we set on Sunday. Paul is urging us to stay the course. Keep your eyes fixed on eternity. Don't be affected by covetousness. Covetousness will always cause you to have second thoughts. Again, my friends, listen, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your gifts. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. He wants your heart. He wants you to find your satisfaction fully in him. You know, Paul says, don't be covetous. The antidote to covetousness is not giving more. That's not it. The antidote to covetousness is keep your eyes on the eternal realm. If you see the surpassing value of heaven, and if you see your inheritance being there, then your heart will be loosened from the things of this world. Seeing how great how mighty, how powerful, how lovely God is, how well he provides, how, how he promises and how he delivers. That's what strengthens us in our resolve to not give, even when we don't think we can. Again, you cannot give God. Well, let me just close and wind down by saying this. Paul in verse 7 says, Each must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, not under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> Our gratitude arises in our hearts because we know, we know, we know, don't we? We know that we don't deserve to be in heaven. How many of you really believe that you deserve to be in heaven? I don't see any hands being raised. You have an opportunity. If you think that you deserve to be in heaven, go ahead. No, no, okay, good. That's good. Because guess what? None of us deserve to be in heaven. Not one of us. Not me, not you. We're all sinners. We've all broken God's laws. We have disobeyed him. And we have shamefully committed acts that some people don't know anything about. But God does. And you know you deserve hell. But aren't you glad that Christ was sent into this world to save us from an eternity in hell? And knowing that, doesn't that make you want to give cheerfully? 
That Greek word that's translated here as cheerful is the word hilarion. You hear that English word, hilarious. It comes from that same word. And, and, and hilarious. God wants you to be a hilarious giver. Cheerful and giving. Hilarious. Laughing it up to give. Now we, we laugh at things that look ridiculous and foolish. The true mark of, of grace working in our hearts is a cheerful benevolence that makes us want to give in manners that may even make us look foolish. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, If any man among you thinks he's wise in this age, he must become foolish. So there we are. We're fools anyway. So why not give foolishly? <laughs> so that you may become wise. This cheerful giving God calls us to is contrasted with the grudgingly and under compulsion giving. Again, if you see that your money is a treasure that buys your happiness, you're not want to get rid of it. But if you believe what Jesus said, even when one has an abundance, does his life not consist of his possessions, then you're seeking to be rich towards God. Your gifts your money, your time, all simple tools to advance the kingdom of God. In this lesson, I hope that you're not thinking for a minute that God loves us because we give. God doesn't love us because we give. That's the case, and he would love the rich person more than the poor person. He doesn't, he doesn't care about the amount as, as long as we're seeking to bless him. God loves us regardless of our bank account sizes. In the world, we give to be loved. In the world, we give to be admired. But in grace, in grace, we give because we've already been loved. And Paul simply calls us to be cheerful givers because, again, God is the most cheerful giver of all. And our giving of our time and of our energy and of our abilities and of our resources and our money, we give to reflect his own truth. Could you imagine, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Can you imagine God grumbling and complaining about giving up his son to save you? Or when Jesus looked at the cross, did he complain about having to give up his very lifeblood for you? Hebrews 12.1 says that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross and despised its shame. It was for joy. It is from this wellspring of God's divine love and grace and joy that now our own generous, faithful, hopeful, cheerful giving comes. I count all things but rubbish that I may gain Christ, Paul said. That's, my friend, the attitude that I have been hoping that, that we all catch as we've been going through this stewardship issue. Let's patiently wait for the reward. Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. I believe that. So let's count all our riches, all our money, all our time, all our abilities as loss, because we have gained Christ. Amen? Let's pray.